What's up, Gasol Education Nation? Today's episode is brought to you by The Payday Practice and our good friends Jeff Langmaid and Jason Deach. So how would South Gooden, Gary V, and Tim Ferriss create a chiropractic practice? The answer is in this book right here. So our good friends Jeff Langmange and Jason Deach, uh, they created the payday practice to basically show you how you cover your monthly expenses in one day every month. Guaranteed, generating monthly recurring revenue in your practice can create financial freedom, eliminate chronic financial stress, and turn the first day of each month from, damn, it's time to start over, to payday. Get a free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. The Payday Practice will show you the exact step-by-step process that you can use to generate monthly recurring revenue in your practice. Get your free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gestalt Education Show. Uh, we're back for another solo episode, Brett, and so uh, we said we were going to do more of these, and damn it, we're sticking to yep. it. So uh, last week, if you didn't catch it, uh, Michael Shacklock was just amazing. So uh, by the time this comes out, too, we'll have announced uh, we got a course coming up with him yep. this year. We're so excited. He's uh, he's on a quick, quick trip to the Amer- to America, and uh, we were lucky enough, we kind of snagged him, and, uh, so he's going to be teaching an upper and lower basic course here in Troy uh, that's kind of a hybrid model, so it's going to go, uh, you're going to get access to the online stuff, but then you're also going to get access to him live and in person, uh, which is pretty damn rare in today's day and age. So, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And seeing him live is, is it's special. You know, it's like being around, we talked about being around people like Pavel, being around people, you know, like, uh, you know, Herbowies of, of the MET world and stuff like that. Michael is in another class. Yeah, so, I agree. So, 100%. Um, so anyway, uh, today's episode, so we're going to talk about the functional triage, Brett, and uh, I'm giving you credit here. You're kind of the first person in the world that I heard this term from. I know it's not an original term to you, but uh, it's something that you've been talking about for a long time. And so uh, it's something that we've kind of based Gestalt on, honestly, which is integration, functional triage. Uh, can you talk us through like what, what is functional, tri- functional integration or functional triage and, and kind of where, where it kind of plays into what we're doing? Yeah, I think, you know, originally this being, you know, over 20 years ago, the model was a lot a lot more simple actually because there was only there was basically three things it was for us it was active release technique it was mpi and it was traditional rehab and it was basically a game to see you know who could do the best job of mixing and matching those three things together and at the time that was producing the best results and then over the last 20 years a lot of things have evolved and we've gotten we've learned a lot more about soft tissue techniques We've definitely learned a lot more about what's happening with uh, manipulation, how to palpate for it, how to be better at that skill. Uh, The world of rehabilitation, I mean, back then DNS didn't even exist. So DNS is now, you know, in my opinion, and we're homers for it, but I think it's the most powerful rehabilitation technique that exists. So basically what we're left with, we're left with being able to kind of borrow and steal from all these different things to, you know, to get our best results. So in any model, you know, like when we're trying to when we're trying to talk about getting the best results, obviously, I mean, you could know, you know, all these different techniques, and and that would be saying something to, to mm-hmm. know them all. 
But the the real power is knowing when to use uh, what tool at the exact right time, and that is what is basically missing. So there actually there's not the, that many people in the world that are actually capable of doing that well. Mm-hmm. And what's hard is because you maybe you're fresh off a seminar and you're wanting to you know utilize this information. But not every case requires every single one of these tools. That's the hard part. So being able to time these cases out, knowing what to use at what time, that continues to be the missing link. And I think that's uh, that's basically the struggle, not only for the students, but for uh, chiros, for physical therapists, for ATCs, for everyone who's seen patients. They really struggle in their ability to do this well. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And you know, if, if you're listening but not watching, so if you're on YouTube, you can see it over behind our shoulders. It's kind of our functional triage. And, uh, you know, we always have referenced the core four a lot to in these episodes. And our core four are there for a reason. And one, they're all four assessments. And two, each one of these has its own unique piece in uh, the puzzle. So neurodynamics, we talked about that last week, is mm-hmm. up on the screen because there's a patient tomorrow, even today as we're seeing patients that may not get better if we don't fully understand that technique. And then to take it to the next level is something that we've really tried to do within ourselves and within these walls at Winchester Spine and Sport is not to bastardize the information too, to truly understand it completely and then know when to integrate it slowly but surely. No different than if we are in an ER setting, right? Like the, the story that you've told and, and you know I've, I've stolen it from you is if you walk into the local uh, emergency room and you've got chest pain, they're not just going to throw antacid, nitroglycerin, and a muscle relaxer down your throat, right? I hope not anyways. It would be up to the triage nurse to basically decide, are you having a heart attack um, or do you, yeah, do you have some indigestion that's causing your chest pain? Or maybe you do just have some tightness in the muscles surrounding that or you know whatever it might be. Uh, but if you don't have that first initial step, then you're kind of screwed because then you're just always behind the eight ball of chasing what actually is going on. Yeah, and uh, actually we had a lookout for our last mm-hmm. staff meeting, but uh, one of my uh, good buddies, he's in charge of all the emergency rooms in the Mercy system, and he said something really fascinating to me a couple of years ago. He said, you know, if you were to, to get into a horrific car accident and, you know, even though like they win awards for how good their system is, He said, whether or not you live or not is probably dependent on who the attending physician is that night. And I really was kind of taken back because I really kind of felt that, you know, at this point that in a hospital system, it would be systemized enough to where, you know, it wouldn't be that way. But he said, it's just like anything else in life. And I mean, these are like such critical decisions that get made like in a second. Mm -hmm. And if they make the wrong one, then, you know, it it could mean death for you or for, for somebody else. So... In our world, it's not life or death, but it's uh, it's kind of the same principles of knowing like when to do what at the right time, and you know we, we a lot of times even compare it to uh, to sports, and uh, you know it's it's what made Wayne Gretzky great. You know, last night I'm sure everybody or hopefully you saw the special on Derek Jeter. I watched it for the second time today. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was really fascinating uh, because he's really good athletes too. It. What they're really good at is situational IQ, which is basically the same thing. So you and I aren't necessarily athletes anymore, but we're still needing to you know, make decisions throughout our day that determine our results. Mm-hmm. And I think a real important point, um, you know, like Sully's a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not just sports too. If Sully doesn't know how to, you know, land a, uh, an airplane on the Hudson, then everyone on board that plane dies that day. So... It's not only just in the the sports world, it's life in general. And if you hang around humans long enough, you'll see that 
not everybody's going to be perfect all the time, but the best in the world, I think they're able to just continuously make good decisions. And then I would say the other thing, when they, um, maybe they're off track a little bit, they're really good at knowing they're off track and then they can kind of correct it. It's like someone who's learned how to swing a golf club well. Like, they'll know when they get off plane and they can, like, almost subconsciously get back on plane where the rest of us, you know, we, we really struggle with that. So, um, being able to do that throughout your day, I think, is a, a huge determining factor. Uh, I would just say that we're all basically seeing the same patients, whether you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, whether you're in Los Angeles, whether you're in New York, Sydney. We all see the same people, mm-hmm. you know, like they have different names, but we're seeing, they have different earth costumes as we say, <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, we're all seeing the same cases. So mm-hmm. to kind of pick through and see like who's doing the best job and it's not always like we talk about here, it's not always that you think you got them better in two visits. It's about how well did you actually manage their case? Mm-hmm. How much better is that really difficult case where you've improved their quality of life we're honestly getting that patient better in two or three visits. Not, it's not even possible. So, what are the metrics to know whether or not you did a good job? And and those are those are sometimes intangibles. But uh, especially when you start seeing really difficult cases, I mean, you, you obviously you got to be in these people's lives to to change the quality of their life. So, it's not about getting everyone better in two to three visits. Mm-hmm. I think that's like one of the biggest misconceptions that are out there. Like when you first start off and you're seeing a bunch of acute pain, yes, you, you know, mm-hmm. you got miracle after miracle because. They're essentially derangements and, you know, they, we adjust them and they, they do great. That's, you know, the low hanging fruit. And then you have all this complexity with these uh, other problems with the, in the chronic pain world. Uh, and there's two ways to get to chronic pain. You get to chronic pain by, you know, having three autoimmune diseases. Maybe, unfortunately, you've been abused. Like there's all kinds of things to get there in that uh, category. But then you also have, you just haven't had great treatment, mm-hmm. you know, so it's hard to find you know, people out there like our listeners that are, you know, giving a world-class treatment, um, that way you you really know whether or not somebody needs the next more invasive procedure. Right. What about Brett? Uh, you've been doing this for a little bit. You've been around the block. Uh, when you, you kind of said something earlier about when you get off track, the best in the world are able to kind of get there quicker than maybe other mm-hmm. people won't. What in your experience is the best way to kind of feel like you're out of there is it more just intuition or is it just seeing things like what where where in your day are you kind of finding those really i think it depends on like what category we're talking about if we're talking let's just talk about manipulation for a second like one of the benefits of paying attention having experiences like now at this point like i can get for example a seated ct move set up and i just know by setting it up that's not the way to do it you know so then you have 10 other ways that you can do it i think like experience kind of helps you there to kind of know like for example not to thrust on something that you know you're not going to have success with Mm -hmm. Um, that way you don't make yourself look foolish and you don't hurt your patient Uh, in the rehab world I would say your audits aren't changing you know we had we talked about that I think last uh, our last podcast where um, you know it depends on what your audits are for us our audits are tension tone trigger points joint blockage Maybe it's uh, neurologic, like deep tendon reflexes or or, uh, joint blockage, whatever it might be. But whatever you decide are your audits, your technique should be addressing those. And if they're not addressing those, then you need to either you're not good at your techniques or your techniques need to be questioned a little bit, you know. So and that's where like, you know, we always get in the debate of, you know, how we got to this point. I'll be perfectly clear, like 
we're not saying that all the other ones aren't good. I mean, you could definitely, someone else could step in here and put ART in their core four. Um, the only reason our core four, our core four, as, as you correctly alluded to, is because they're not only a treatment, they're also like a system for assessment. So not that ART or some of the other ones wouldn't be, but I think uh, these other ones are a little bit more like pillars as far mm -hmm. as that goes. And then, uh, but I want to understate the, the other ones that are up there because, I mean, we are using all of these to uh, to help our patient on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. And I think some, you know, this is somewhat of an older one. This is my functional triage slide. It's a little bit different than Brett's, honestly. And uh, that's kind of a fun fun evolution for both of us. But, you know, fashion manipulation isn't up there yet, but it's going to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, it's definitely playing a role, and we've been using it a lot lately. And so, uh, but... But yeah, I, I think, uh, and then the next step of that is understanding that not all of these are together in treatment. Right. So just because they're in our toolbox, it doesn't mean that every single visit you're pulling out every single one of these tool buttons, exactly. tools, right? And so uh, understanding when and where to do what I think is then the next kind of evolution of, of a clinician and something that I've been really trying really hard on uh, myself of, of really trying to hone those down. And I, I think something that I've maybe gotten from you too is that a lot of times less is more in this world, oh, yeah. especially in treatment. doesn't matter uh, you know, if you're, I, I think a good example is a low back derangement. You know, when I first started, I had the urge to not only manipulate them, find a directional preference, stick some needles in them, scrape on them, DNS, tape them, you know, like do all these things. <laughs> and now, I mean, anymore, I, as my schedule fills up and I have less, you know, wiggle room with patients, a good adjustment in a directional treatment is a great way to start day one. The case when I was young that would have taken two hours literally for me to uh, get out of my office is now my easiest case. Mm -hmm. Because usually, I mean, if you got carried in because your low back is in, in such poor shape, we know it's probably discogenic pain. We know they're probably going to have a directional preference. They probably need a direction to be manipulated in. Well, now you're looking at five minutes of treatment and basically education, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny how the case that you think is going to take forever actually actually does not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I wanted to add another thing, and I think this never gets talked about, but to be a great clinician, you got to have good clinical reasoning skills. And I feel like I, I'm on a huge evolution for myself on that. I feel like... I really was a product of having a good memory, being able to memorize stuff, and that's like what the American school system basically rewards you for. Um, and then there's another thing, which being a good clinician, which is critical thinking. So mm -hmm. memorization, which is all of chiropractic school, and critical thinking could not be more on opposite ends of the continuum that exists. I'm not saying there's not a benefit to having a good memory, but I am saying that like learning how to critically think well and what critical thinking actually is, is, I mean, we, we have like our decisions that are so easy for us to make during the day. Mm -hmm. But then you have those decisions where like the reason it's a hard decision is because you could almost argue it either way. And critical thinking is really about like taking everything into consideration and making a decision based on the information that you gathered when it's not so binary, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's like a never talked about, but you know, all day long, we see it on the athletic field, but we call it something different. But throughout the day, I think the grades, they'll just continue to, uh, you know, take in the information, not get bogged down by noise that the patient's saying, knowing what's pertinent, what's not, still being empathetic and, you know, them thinking you're listening to them, but also then like knowing no matter what the patient is trying to bully you on, knowing what you need to do and sticking it through. And then patients are so smart, like they... 
they it's almost like a test like mm-hmm. they're kind of bullying you on purpose to see if you're going to stay in your gun and i mean at that point then we're back to you know certainty confidence never cockiness and these are all like hallmarks for what makes for like the best clinicians in the world never talked about because you think that if you get good at all this stuff that you're going to be great and i mean that that's half of the battle but mm-hmm. i'm serious the other half is management of difficult people and the better you get at this you're going to be seeing so much difficult stuff and uh you know being able to deal with them like when they start to push back on you or bully you or you know they come back and they're not better you know like so what do we say to them to keep them on board and be a cheerleader for them in their in their journey we always joke too uh, our interns are are lucky to be with us for extended periods of time and they see the best the worst and everything in between you know Uh, we always joke sometimes we'll have a shadow come through and you're like man that was a bad day for a shadow to be here because they'll leave going holy shit because you look horrible yeah they didn't help anybody you know but but these cases are so you know it's just not miracle after miracle I mean yes like we were talking in the Q cases we can get a lot of miracles and and etc but uh, being able to like you said keep people on board enough to be there and I, I just released a real from our two episodes ago when you're talking about intangibles of keeping people on board is an essential part of making sure that these techniques work too you know like if you can't come back and re-audit and re-audit and re-audit the function then i mean you're lost you really don't know whether or not they're getting better well i mean every case we talked about this before worth repeating you have your miracle we've all been there you walk into a room you do some intervention and i mean it's just literally uh, life-changing for the patient and then you have on the other end of the continuum you have like orthopedic intervention which would be surgery and then you have everything else in between and I would just make an argument to say that most chiropractors are really really struggling especially the evidence-based group with that we call them this black hole of patients here because they basically need to be kept on board is your changing function mm-hmm. so if and what it really comes down to taylor is basically a lack of confrontation mm-hmm. is what it because basically you know they need something so what do you need to say to get them on board and and that comes down to being able to confront a person to say you know this is what you actually need mm-hmm. now keep in mind every single one of our patients mine included they want to they want to be better in one visit and they don't want to pay for that one visit right. so you're up against that so, so of course they want to be here out of here in mm-hmm. one visit yeah i mean it's like saying i want my teeth to be straight after having my braces on for a day you know like so um, you know, you, you someone's got to be there to explain what this takes because, as we all know, like if you don't educate the patient well, well, it's not really on them because they, they don't know any better. You know, uh, you'll know by if everybody's canceling because they're out of pain. That's how we always kind of judge. Yep. Yeah, I, I think too, and a way to get better at it. I mean, I'm lucky. I, we're in group practice here, and so we get to hear stories, and you know, we'll make fun of the other docs when they say something stupid. The walls are yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but I think it, you know if you're if you're by yourself and you're like, well, how in the hell am I going to get better at this? I think it's just like you got to take leaps of faith, and if it doesn't work out, then you got to be able to learn from those situations and think, okay, go home with your schedule from that day and say, man, oh man, Nancy, I flub that up I, I need to figure out a way to reword that or like dang I actually that worked really good with this patient I need to try it with this patient you know and just like if you don't take the time to think through those little intricacies especially you know as you're getting getting your practice rolling then I think you're missing out on such a big 
uh, chance to get better. You know, it's easy for us to go to a seminar and get better at manipulation or manual therapy, but to get better at your confrontation, like you're yeah. talking about, you just gotta you just gotta try stuff out. And you, uh, we kind of talked about it two episodes ago. Of find your shtick. You know, whatever you're good at, your personality, then you gotta lean on that. You're never gonna be good as Brett or me or anyone else in this world as far as uh, personality. But if you can if you can double down on what you're really good at personality wise, and then mix it with being amazing at these manual techniques. The rest is history. I mean, people are going to be knocking down your door to come see you. Yeah. I think, too, I mean, preparing for uh, not just, like, what you're going to be doing with them with uh, the different techniques, but also preparing, you know, when you walk into a room and uh, you, you maybe you already kind of know that the case isn't going great. So almost like rehearsing in your mind what you need to say to them when it's not going the way that we want. I think people don't think about that, but, like, that way you're not walking in a room and just getting so shocked by it. Before you walk in, just consider what all your possibilities are. And usually you kind of have a hunch how a case is going, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and then, as you said, learn. You said something. You didn't like the way it came out. So the next time you run into something similar, you you change it. And uh, and then at that point, I mean, you're basically... uh, you're rehearsing for all the different scenarios and then it gets a little bit easier because mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a hundred of, them. I mean, if you, you know, like yeah. there's 10 or 20 of them where you got to, you know, give them, you know, some little speech about, you know, why they need to be changing function and not be so concerned about pain. And, uh, you, you know, you're doing well when everyone's on board, you know, like uh, you're going to lose, you know, I had to fire one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and, uh, you're gonna you're gonna lose some people along the way, but by and large, I mean, it's like you know, Mark King and I used to always say, and Corey Campbell also is like, literally just tell them what they need, walk out of the room. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, I know that's, but for the young clinician, I think that's easy. Just say it and walk out because yep. no one's gonna, you know, no one's gonna dig, dig their heels in twice a week for three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> start there. That's that's start there. That's a great yeah. start. Uh, I do want to ask you, Brett. So. Um, let, let's just talk, like, kind of finish here with the manual technique. So the, the question we always get, and I kind of have my own answer, but I'm curious on yours, is of these things here, where would you start? You're a, you're a try-to student, let's say, or let's do two scenarios. You're a try-to student, and then you're also, let's say, four or five years out of school, and you're realizing that you maybe need some help with your, your technique. Right. Well, I think, like, on the manual side of things, first of all, um, whether you want to admit it or not, most of us are chiropractors. Not all of us, but mm-hmm. so we'll talk to the chiropractor side of things first. Um, you know, if people have a preconceived notion of what their service they're going to get when they go to the chiropractor and yet you're unable to deliver this, then that becomes a problem. And Lynn Faye used to tell me, he said, you know, if you can get really good at palpating and adjusting, they'll be on board for all, he said, all your weird DNS stuff or whatever, <laughs> uh, reflex locomotion. But uh, there is some truth to that. So uh, as long as you can give them in a way what they're needing and I mean, it's a, it, you're hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't have some joint blockage throughout their body, which, and I mean, this goes against other people's philosophies, which I understand, but we're a little bit different, I guess, in the official MDT uh, principles, which is they use a regression of force. And if, if I was Robin McKenzie, I would, and you're teaching to a bunch of people who don't know manual therapy or don't know how to manipulate, mm-hmm. then you that's you're just basically building safety in, which makes a lot of sense, but. You know, we've all been trained on how to do it. So we actually, I maybe we've earned the right, I guess, to like through joint play and like we can maybe, uh, this is just theory, we, you could pro- possibly get there quicker if you're able to put motion into a joint that you know for a fact is stiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, or actually like we'll put people in the MDT hospital 
just on our palpation, not that we moved a joint 200 times in a certain direction. Instead, like we palpate someone's CT junction, we're like, wow, this is really stiff. Uh, we use maybe in-range techniques to uh, manipulate them there, and then we're sending them home with repetitive in-range in the motion that that joint's going. If you think about it, what, what a marriage MDT and MPI have. So uh, when you're young, the other component to being young is you're trying to practice everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're gonna you're gonna definitely over manipulate, over treat, over mobilize when you're young, and then uh, and then as you get older, you kind of you realize what a powerful tool that is. And uh, it was said to me once, and I think this is a great analogy. The best acupuncturist in the world needs one needle. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is putting fifty needles in. You know, <laughs> right. that's a that's a tall tale, but you yeah. get the point. Mm-hmm. Like simplicity, there's a lot of genius in simplicity. I'd, I'd say that for sure. I think just to answer my own question too would be if you're a student, MPI is where you'd start. I mean, a Cairo student, it's where you'd start, and then I think from there you would bridge out to uh, MDT and DNS, and then from there you can start adding in these ancillary things. But I think if 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 all you knew was MDT manipulation or motion palpation, uh, DNS, holy smokes. And then once you add in neurodynamics, I mean, now you're a force to really oh, yeah. be reckoned with. And then then it makes ART more powerful. It makes your everything else in your tool, tool bag so much more powerful. And then... Uh, the other thing I'd add to that, like if you want to be good at adjusting, you have to understand functional anatomy. So mm-hmm. I think a, you know, a mistake gets made with a lot of the young students. They want to get... It's kind of they have it backwards. They actually get good at the psychomotor skill of adjusting somewhat. They suck at palpation. They know nothing about anatomy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what I would much rather have people do, and this is the path that I kind of went on, was, you know, if you played sports and you're young, usually adjusting kind of comes naturally. But I needed to learn how to get way better at palpation when I was young. And then, um, and then quite honestly, and I was good at this part, but like, you got to spend some time, you got to do some book work, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Newman's kinesiology book, we were looking this morning at Dave McGee's orthopedic book. Like, those are great starting places to kind of, I mean, if you don't know what you're feeling and you don't understand how joints move or their architecture, good luck trying to feel it or uh, mm-hmm. adjust it. So, yeah, got to visualize it first. Yeah. Right? Uh, awesome great conversation uh i think you, you just got to start somewhere you know i get emails all the time from gustald of like hey i've been out 10 years i don't know where to begin where, where should i start just just start you know like just start somewhere like if dns intrigues you come to a dns course it doesn't right. matter if you start on the <laughs> exercise track or the a track like you just got to start somewhere and so uh and then from there if it piques your interest more then go to more and then start asking more questions and, and start applying it little by little and and more on the microscopic level, I would say, because the question's always, everyone's got big dreams about what they want to be. They want to work with a college. They want to work with a professional team. They want to do all these things, but they haven't, you, you got to start with the person who's in front of you right now. So you mm-hmm. get really good at that eight-year-old kid who's playing baseball there. Mm-hmm. And when you've mastered that, then, you know... So I think to that point too, is as far as being a better clinician, the the only thing you got is a patient that's in front of you right now. So do a great job there. Absolutely, beautiful. All right, guys, uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, any questions, any comments, any topics you guys want us to talk about, please let us know and uh, check out our upcoming courses. We got some really good ones coming up, and uh, stay tuned for more awesome podcasts. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gasol Education Show. Uh, if you liked it share it, 
subscribe to it, uh, send it to your friends, send it to someone that needs to hear this message. Uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the, the best clinical advice that they can, which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us, or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations, let us know. Uh, for a list of our upcoming courses, we're adding them all the dang time. So go to gestaltedu.com, click on courses, and they'll all be right there for you. All right, have a good day.